Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey there, Order Up show listeners. This is Tommy from Ops Analytica. For those of you who aren't familiar with what Ops Analytica does, I can sum it up in one statement. We help you guys identify issues that are happening in your locations so that you can solve them and address them before they start affecting customers, sales, and profits. Right now, 95% of the restaurant chains, hospitality chains in the country are backing into what's happening by looking at sales, food costs, labor costs, liquor costs, and customer satisfaction data. Let me tell you something. If you've got a problem at a location and it's showing up in your sales or your costs or your profitability, it's too late. It's already affecting your business very badly couple months of really bad operations at one location can poison the sales and profits in that location for years. It takes years to regain that trust, to regain those sales. So stop looking at lagging indicators and, and obsolete data and just get real-time operations data about what's happening in your business so that you can address issues quickly and stop them from affecting your sales, your profits, and your personal stress. Check us out at opsanalytica.com. Thanks. Hey there, Order Up Podcast listeners. It's Tommy Yanolis here with another episode of the Order Up Podcast. Um, today, we have a great interview. Um, what I want to do is I'm just going to introduce our guest today. Uh, please welcome Bob Dupre with Restaurant Playbook. Hey, Bob. How you doing, man? All good. How you doing, Tommy, today? Living the dream. <laughs> social distancing sitting in my home office and yeah. uh, you know enjoying myself so uh bob we had a little quick conversation before the podcast but you know generally just for the listeners we, we do the same format of questions every time okay. and that's this real conversation we're just going to hang out today and talk but uh so the first question in our series is um yeah sort of talk us uh, from your sort of the beginning of your career path all the way through to what you're doing today with restaurant playbooks. Okay, cool. Yeah, thanks. So, um, so started in the restaurant industry when I was 15. I got a call from uh, uh, the result of my high school guidance counselor kind of giving my name to a local restaurant. Uh, called me on a Saturday afternoon when I was just getting ready to watch a Red Sox game. And uh, he's <laughs> like, uh, Bob, I heard you're interested in a summer job. And I'm just like, okay. And he said, uh, I'm, I'd like to talk to you. When can you come in? I said, uh, how about Monday? And he's like, if you want a job, you can come in today. <laughs> yes. So that was my start. So, uh, you know, got on the schedule and I loved it. It was a family restaurant, small, um, uh, you know, independent restaurant, steakhouse. I mean, back in those days, there weren't many chain restaurants. This was back in uh, the late 70s, right? So it was kind of like, okay, work your way up through the ranks, started as a dishwasher. There was five dish stations, you know, alone to work your way through all the way from scraping the stuff off the plates through the person that gets to take the, take the dishes in the nice air conditioned dining room, you know, and then you work your way up to the pot station. And then next thing you know, if you've got some ambition, you can become the breader for the seafood and, and then the person that chases the steaks for the, the grill guy, and then you get on the line and so on. So I kind of worked my way up through all those components and I decided I really loved it. So I moved to Southern Florida and, and started to learn chefing. So I started, I started to, you know, kind of, uh, 
in Italian restaurants and working behind the line and worked my way up saute to sous chef. And that's about as far as I got in the back of the house before I decided, you know, it's a lot cooler out there, out front there. I want to yeah. see what's going on out in the dining room. So I started moving to the dining room and, and, you know, serve as a server and bartender and then became manager, general manager. Then I got into training. And then I started working with, you know, some of the larger at the time chains at the time that actually had good training programs, really good kind of employee training programs. So I kind of worked in, in that realm for a while. And then I started to get a hankering back for, you know, the independent restaurant operator and uh, said, I'm going to take everything I learned now through all these years and, you know, what the kind of big boys do and how they do it. I'm going to try to help more independent uh, operators kind of develop more uh, for lack of a better word, sophisticated type training program. So, uh, you know, really kind of having more of a, a regimented approach to training. So that's what I started to get really involved in training. And uh, I moved to the UK and I started working with really large chains and helping them to put together kind of the American style of service as uh, at the time in the early 90s, you know, uh, in Britain, they kind of looked to the States as the, the, you know, the, the gold standard of providing customer service. And frankly, from, you know, the early 90s in the restaurant industry in the UK, they were, they were right. I mean, service was pretty horrendous, but I mean, it's totally, it's totally changed now. I mean, they're, they're, they're at the top of the table in Europe as far as quality of restaurants and service and everything else, but it wasn't that way then. So I got a lot of great experience helping folks put together mystery dining experiences and service standards and, and uh, mainly focusing on front of house. So uh, sales training for wait staff, for example. So somewhere around the mid nineties, I started to learn about computer-based training and I thought, well, this is perfect for the restaurant industry, right? It's like you, you, you develop it once and you know, everything's consistent and it's interactive and it's engaging and you can track who's done the training and everything else. And other industries had really embraced it, but I thought this is perfect for the restaurant industry. So I took a, sales training program that I had been delivering across the UK with a team of associates, you know, with our clients and, and really said, let's try to put this online. So we did, we created uh, you know, kind of an, an engaging and effective program called, we called it a role in the show because in the restaurant industry in the UK, they don't have tipping. So you can't kind of say, well, Hey, we're going to teach you how to be great salespeople because if you do, you're gonna, you're gonna earn more. So there wasn't that kind of motivation that we could use. So we, we kind of took the metaphor that it was, you know, you're playing a role in the show and a very important role, but everyone plays a role in the show and the restaurant businesses like show business and so on. So we developed that and, you know, we had limited appeal actually Tommy, because uh, really restaurants didn't have the computers to actually play the computer-based training program. So it was a little bit of a, hmm, didn't really think that one through, but you know, um, Actually, some of the hotels actually bought some of the larger hotels were using it because hotels were starting to put together computer training rooms, right, with multimedia computers and pretty much all the universities bought it because they all had computer centers. So I was, you know, I kind of thought, well, my, my, um, my prospects are kind of limited right now with the restaurant industry. So I actually left the restaurant industry and then I spent the last the online learning industry. So I worked with Fortune 500 companies. I worked with very large e-learning companies, um, you know, FedEx, Walmart, Toyota, all the big names, uh, you know, the top 100 of the Fortune 500 companies and putting 
custom e-learning programs together and blended training programs together. But I did in, in that time work for some of the big QSRs. Um, Duncan Brands was a client of mine. Subway was a client of mine. Uh, Burger King was a client of mine, uh, uh, Yum Brands. So I worked with some of the larger um, QSRs because in the late 2000s, uh, well, actually like 2000, somewhere between 2008 and 2014, they were doing some really cool stuff. They were doing, you know, high-end simulations. When you kind of, uh, you know, when you learned how to serve coffee, you actually learned in a simulated environment. If you were learning how to make a Whopper, you were doing it in a simulated game-based environment. Really high-end stuff, but it was super effective. They, they significantly reduced, you know, time to productivity, significantly reduced, uh, you know, turnover and just got a lot of benefits by investing the money that they did in computer-based training. So it turned out, you know, the restaurant industry really did start to embrace uh, e-learning and, um, and computer-based training and really start to see the benefits at scale. So, you know, somewhere around the mid 2016, I said, okay, I think the time is right to, you know, get back into my passion, which is the restaurant industry and take everything that I've learned in the last 20 years working with all these big companies and really strip out all the, you know, all the fluff and what doesn't work and create some e-learning programs and, and use an approach that we saw as highly effective uh, in these other industries. So I put together a team of folks that had similar experience in other industries, you know, strong instructional design capabilities, but also subject matter experts and so on. And we've spent the last two years developing a catalog to provide a turnkey solution for, you know, smaller independents and multi-units and all the way up to chains that, you know, don't have training departments so they could deploy really highly effective uh, and engaging e-learning content. So that's where we are today. So you touched on the idea of blended training. Can you dive into that a little deeper? I'm not familiar with that term. So the idea of blended training is it's not just e-learning. It might be a combination of, you know, in the restaurant, in the restaurant world, it could be a combination of um, on-the-job training. It could be a combination of some coaching. It could, it could you know, leverage e-learning. It could be part of also onboarding. So it's using various modalities to get, um, to get to where you want to go. So in an example of an onboarding program is, um, you know, there's a component of you start on the first day, you take some, you might go to a training class, you might take an e-learning course, and then over time you might have interactions with a manager who's coaching you and assessing you throughout that process. You might have activities that you need to do and report into um, and, and so on. So it's, it's, it's really just taking an approach where you're not just focusing on one way of delivering training. It's not either, it's not just someone teaching in, in a real world environment or, or it's not just e-learning. So that's, that's where that, and that was really popular a number of years ago, but I think what we're, you know, what I've been seeing is it moving away from the blend and really moving more towards relying strictly on e-learning wherever you can. Well, I think that probably, my, my guess would be that that's probably due to the turnover crisis yeah. And just, you know, the fact that we've got, um, you know, the guy that's been there the longest might only have been there for four weeks. Right. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So he might not necessarily be the right guy to train the restaurant team. And I don't think it's that bad, but I think in some places. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's easier to have it on scale. But that makes sense, though, because, you know, I remember, like, I was a trainer at P.F. Chang's. 
Mm-hmm. And we would go and we would be, uh, you know, it was really just, we had the book and then we had following and then we had, you know, we would hang out and do table stuff. Like after the meals, we'd eat food and just taste all the different things and whatnot. So yeah, right. that was kind of a blended approach too, but we didn't have the computer at all. That was yeah. back 15 years ago, for sure. Well, I mean, back in the day, you know, I, I would stand in, or, you know, stand in front of a room full of lecturers at a university and talk to them about how computer-based training is just perfect for the hospitality industry. And everyone had their arms folded and, and it, you know, the consensus was you can't teach someone people skills using a computer. Um, sure. And that was kind of, that was the sentiment. And it is true that you can't, you know, there are certain things you need to kind of either practice through role plays. There's definitely some things that are better when you're actually taking the application of the learning that you want to take outside, but you can do quite a lot in a really well-developed e-learning program where you can simulate these things in a safe environment. And when you think about COVID and the, you know, the, the reality of what everyone's dealing with, what better way to practice and adapt new skills and behaviors than in a safe environment that doesn't affect anyone negatively, right? Absolutely. Yeah, a friend of mine, he works for the UC, UC Health Centers. He's their innovation uh, department. And so they do mental health innovation and they do a ton with virtual reality and stuff sure. like that to help people calm down or to just, you know, like they were, they had virtual reality goggles for all the nurses and the doctors where they could just take five minutes go sit in a room and then they were instantly in a park right. looking around a park, you know? So, I mean, like, yeah, you're right. Like we have to think we the, the day of like, it, here's what you have to think about. If you like right now, the standard, I think what we're hearing, and I don't know what it's going to be like in Colorado, but the mm-hmm. standard that we're hearing is 30% of your fire capacity, not 50% of your dining room right. because you have to have room for employees. So if you have to have a second extra employee in your restaurant, uh, just training a new employee, that's a customer that you can't have in there right now. Right. So right. you have to be looking at how can we be doing this training from home? Mm-hmm. How can we be doing this training um, effectively where we're not taking up occupancy in a building that's at limited occupancy? So. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, is certainly e-learning supports the, you know, what we really believe in is that changing behaviors is a process. It's not this kind of thing. Yeah. You take the course once, tick the box, oh, you're certified, and then you can come back to it three years later. It's like, yeah. it's imperative that folks actually adapt these new skills and, and, and execute these new behaviors. And, and, it's, and it's kind of second nature. Right. As opposed to you have to think about it, because the second you have to start thinking about it, a lot of these things just don't come naturally to any of us, let alone hospitality people. Right. Uh, You know, it doesn't come naturally. So it's like it's so important that you embed these behaviors. And with e-learning, you can think about this opportunity to reinforce over time a consistent message. And and if you're using a learning management system or some technology where you're tracking that, you can kind of set that up on a drip program or so on where you are kind of better supporting a way to deliver information in a way that is going to change those behaviors. Oh, absolutely. And I think you touch on something that we're very passionate about, which is process. Yeah. Like I think people think about restaurant management as like, you know, they think of restaurant management, they just don't think of it as from a process perspective, mm-hmm. right? They just mm-hmm. think about it as like, I got to check these boxes really quickly and then the rest, and, you know, and then whatever. And it really is running a restaurant is just a series of 
500 processes yep. that have yep. to be executed at different times of the day right. by different people. And then it, you know, it all comes together. And next thing you know, tacos are produced and we get right. to eat them and it's delicious. Well, especially well, when cool. you want consistency, right? Um, exactly. You know, consistency is, is the, the lifeblood of, of the business is, is uh, making sure that folks are executing the same way and getting the, delivering the same quality product. And, and from a safety perspective, that's going to be right up there on top. Well, yeah. And I, if you think about it too, just from, I mean, the restaurant industry, and I don't think they give themselves credit for this is uh, enough either, is that the restaurant industry is probably one of the best industries at one um, uh, on systematizing uh, and, and creating processes. Yep. Because, because you have a, a Taco Bell, right? Or any restaurant, you pick it. And, but I'm just thinking talk about the top of my head. And, you know, you have, not only do you have uh, like a, a lower end employee in a lot of cases, you have, they've basically taken the running of a restaurant, which is already complicated enough without yeah. the idea of perishability, right? Yep, yep. And safety that go yep. in there too. Mm -hmm. And they've literally broken it down into a thousand little steps. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and we've always had a huge reliance on the restaurant industry with training because that's one of the few things operationally we could control mm -hmm. in, in, in the past. But then what's happened is, is that the technology has blown past where the, where the guys are at the restaurants and they need help adapting and getting this stuff sort of forward, if you will, you know, yeah. where yeah. it can be more effective. Yeah, and that, that's kind of why we did why, why we set out to do what we did is that, you know, the larger chains, they have training departments, right? So they have folks that are, are developing training and e-learning and so on and using tools to do that. But, you know, anyone except for the largest organizations aren't going to have a dedicated or they typically don't have a dedicated yeah. training department with the skill set and the experience, instructional design, uh, you know, adult learning theory, brain science, all the things you really should know if you're developing e-learning content. So I think what you see a lot of is folks that know their business and they know the subject matter, and then they're now given a tool to somehow turn that into something that's delivered online. Well, that's, you could say that's technically e-learning, but it's not necessarily effective or engaging e-learning. And it's so important with the audiences that, that, you know, that are working in restaurants, which is the modern learner, which is really anyone that has, is used to a device being attached to themselves is that short attention spans, you know, typically prefer video, high, highly engaging content. You know, think of how we use our devices in our personal lives. If you need to learn something, what do you do? You open up Google or you open up YouTube, you type in what you're looking for, how do I fix this leaky sink? And there you go, there's a video and you've done it. Next thing you know, you've done it. Most of the time, and I'm talking, not, this isn't just the restaurant industry, this is any Fortune 500 company, it's very rare where their corporate learning experience or training mirrors how we're using our devices in today's world. And if you sure. don't develop it in an effective, engaging way, understanding how people learn, you're going to develop something that's maybe got too much text on a page or, you know, it isn't using highly engaging graphics or animations. It doesn't grab their attention. So they don't absorb the information. They kind of switch off and that's kind of defeating the whole purpose of what you're trying to do. So it's a challenge, but you know, that's, that's kind of where we need to get to. 
but every journey starts with a single step, right? And so it's like, yeah. start thinking about how you can use what you have to start thinking about utilizing online, you know, capability. Like you've got an iPhone, a powerful camera there. Start thinking about things you could video that you could put on a platform and actually share or put on a Vimeo channel or YouTube channel. So folks are starting to see things in a more engaging way as opposed to reading it on a manual. Well, and let's just be, let's all be honest. If you have ineffective training, then it takes longer to get the employee competent and you spend more money getting the employee competent. And so you, you end up, your onboarding and training costs get more expensive. And when you have a high uh, turnover culture, right. which, you know, let's be honest, I don't know that we still have a high turnover problem anymore yeah. because the, of, uh, if, uh, unfortunately a lot of restaurants have closed over the last two months mm -hmm. and we may be in a position where we have a glut of people who really do want to work in the restaurant industry who love the restaurant industry yep. and we have and now there's less locations we might i'm hoping that we get a big up step up and you know the people who really wanted to be in the restaurant industry that's their career are going to go back out and find these new jobs that are going to open up in the next month or two, right? But right. just saying that, but going back from the previous pre-COVID world where we had a huge turnover issue mm -hmm. and the average waiter was gonna make it 44 days. Well, you can't, if you have to spend two extra days training this guy because your training stinks, yeah. then guess what? That's two more days, or it's actually way more than two days. It's probably like a week of extra time to get an ROI on this employee because every day you're paying them a, a high hourly wage and you're paying the person training them a high hourly wage as well. Yeah. So, you know, it, and that's, it, it, it's real money. And that's what I like about what you're doing with the checklist is because we kind of liken it, the metaphor we use is, you know, it's like a, with, with COVID, if you have 10 things you have to get right and you get nine of them, you do nine of them flawlessly, but you get one wrong, it's game over in today's world, right? With, with the, the public being so attuned to their safety. And we kind of think about it as a pilot who's flown for 20 years, uh, or, and they might have flown 20, 20 times this month. They still need to get on that checklist and go through that checklist every single time they get on a plane. And it's yeah. like, this is the way we need to think about things now is we need to manage this proactively. And when we talk about getting the ROI, well, to me, the ROI is that everyone's doing everything right all the time because if someone just slips up in one area and that gets tweeted or, you know, that, and, and there's some consistency and other folks noticing the same thing, it's just going to be very challenging to kind of be in business if, if you're not firing on all those cylinders. So it's imperative that the training is actually affecting the change and driving the new behaviors and allowing those behaviors to be sustained over time. Absolutely. No, we agree. And, you know, I, I think we talked about this the other day too, but we do see in this post COVID world, the increased sanitation, the increased emphasis mm -hmm. on safety, the increased yep. emphasis on public health, this is like taking your shoes off after 9-11 at the exactly. airport. Yep. We don't suggest, I don't think that this is going to go away anytime soon. Right. And anything that you did to lessen sanitation, especially the big public sanitation you're going to be doing at the restaurant level, yep. anything you do to lessen that is going to be perceived by customers as you're actually taking something away from them that they care about. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so it, yeah. it's here to stay, I think. Yeah. And even in your scenario where, you know, turnover is reducing and quality of, you know, folks that want to be in the industry and, you know, 
all that all that stuff if that's you know hopefully that works out that way even with yeah. that though is these are still and, and we're in a dynamic inf- uh, situation right these are still very difficult these aren't human nature yeah. these things we're being expected to do and and, it, and it's dynamic it's like what yeah. you learn today could change tomorrow right exactly. so it's not even it's not even like you can it's, it's a movable target there's no way to even say okay we got this covered they're down everything's great we got it it's going to change in a week right and that's yeah. probably going to be the situation for the next eight or 12 months at least that's what i'm hearing you know the operators i'm speaking to they're planning for this to be something that you know is is part of the part of their future and, and for sure to, yeah yeah it's a not so time yeah. So here, we'll move on to the next question. Uh, okay. What is the big project and initiative that you're working on right now? Yeah, well, we were getting ready to release our, our catalog to the market and then realize it's not really relevant right now. So we're kind of retooling it. So we have two products, which is one is really about systematizing a consistent delivery of hospitality. And the other one is all about developing a professional sales team that can do consultative type sales. So it's one from a manager to become more of a sales leader and a coach. And from a team perspective, all the elements of what a consultative salesperson is. So we're kind of retooling that one because sales are still going to be very important, right? But we're actually adding um, a component of with your curbside and, and takeout model, um, what does that mean to be able to optimize sales, keep people safe, keep the customers safe? So we're adding a layer that makes it um, you know, relevant for folks that are going to be looking to relaunch their business or looking for the time when they're gonna be bringing folks back into the dining room. So we're doing some fine tuning of that. And we also developed some free COVID uh, courses uh, for folks to be able to use right now. So it's like CDC recommendations, it's a safe service for curbside and takeout, but we also did one for operators too. And they're like short videos, less than a couple of minutes, but you know, highly kind of to the, you know, to the point, very concise. The other ones for the operator to kind of teach them or help them understand how they need to communicate to the public about what they're doing. So it's, it's all three. So those are the kind of things that we're focusing on right now and trying to help folks leverage and use those free resources, but then take what we're learning from operators that are in the trenches right now, they've stayed open, they're working through their curbside and takeout model. And, and I'm working with operators that are kind of looking to uh, figure out what that relaunch looks like. And we're learning from these folks where their challenges are and we're trying to make sure that we're covering that in this kind of turnkey content that we're that we're offering well and i think a couple of things to tag on to that is that obviously you're gonna see some amount i i believe and i don't know what they're doing in georgia and tennessee right now to be honest mm-hmm. with you other than they've reopened mm-hmm. i don't know what percentages are allowing people back into the restaurants with yeah. but i mean most restaurants are having a hard time making a living at a hundred percent occupancy. Yeah. Uh-huh. So to go from 30 per, to go at like 30 or 50% occupancy mm. is going to be very difficult for them. And mm. so, you know, one of the things they have to look at is how are they maximizing every interaction? Not only if it's dining at let's say yeah. 30% occupancy or 30% right. fire code occupancy, yeah. but then also, can I get that person to leave with some food? Can I give them right. a coupon to come back within the next week to get carry out yes. or give them a free delivery coupon? Like, how can I be selling as much as I can, like you said, consultatively while they're there? Right. And then also, how am I going to drive that re- repeat, hopefully quick repeat or within, let's say, two-week repeat 
visit with some other incentive around that because um, because you just can't let any opportunity slip by you because you're 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 being muzzled at the top end of your funnel, if you will, yeah. right? Which is your occupancy in the business. So you've yeah. got to be advertising across the board there and, and also driving incentives to do things that are more profitable for you. So obviously yeah. take out that somebody orders through your website is more profitable than somebody using a third party delivery service to order delivery food. So, you know, right. understanding the profit margins and all that stuff. Yeah. And you know, you know, I've got some folks that their model was they had scratch kitchens and everything was perfect when it got to the table yeah. and everything's fresh ingredients. And I've, I've, you know, visited their restaurants and it's amazing. And it's like, they never really considered themselves to be, you know, takeout didn't really work for them because of their approach. And, but, but everyone's, everyone that I'm talking to anyway, and every, every, kind of uh, task force that I listen in on and so on. Everyone's saying, this is part of our, it needs to be part of our model moving forward. So what does that mean? It means, a couple, you know, it means you're having to redesign your menu, think maybe trim out um, some, you know, let and have less perishable items, but it's also rethinking about the line. So it's how are we yeah. keeping our employees safe, which is number one priority, right? Making folks feel, helping folks feel that you've got all the right systems process in place to keep them safe when they come back to work. So it might be redesigning the menu in a way where the line, you know, can incorporate social distancing and so on, but then maybe streaming down even their in, in-house menu and, and having a dedicated takeout menu and just thinking about what travels well. So maybe it's tater tots yeah. versus French fries and all that kind of stuff. So it's a whole rethink about everything, but even to the point of, uh, you know, what is that phone call going to be like when someone calls and says, okay, what's your curbside, uh, you know, process. And if someone just says, Hey, just come on in and we'll take care of it. It kind of sounds like maybe you don't have everything thought through versus if you've got a really good kind of process, you want to make sure someone feels really comfortable that you've thought everything through. And these are things again, that don't come naturally, but how you, how you convey that over the phone, not just on your website, and then what they see when they drive up and all that kind of stuff. Everything has to be rethought from, from, all, that, from all those different perspectives. Even small things like if you've got a takeout, you don't put condiments and forks and things on top of the food in the bag because someone has to then weed through all of that and you know sanitize it hypothetically, right, to get to that. So it might be asking someone do you want condiments put it in an extra bag do you want the receipt or do you you know do you do you not give them the receipt so it's just every single touch point needs to be looked at through the eyes of a very critical customer absolutely absolutely um hold on here let's grab my third question uh okay what is the one thing in the industry or your business that's keeping you up at night I mean, really, it's, it's, it's how dynamic the situation is, right? It's like, so I'll give you an example. We created these free COVID videos um, somewhere around the beginning of the beginning. I think they were released the middle of March. And uh, somewhere around the beginning of March, I think the CDC came out and said, or the beginning of April, hey, we we're kind of recommending folks. It's probably a good idea to wear face masks now. And some folks were starting to say, if you work in food service, you have to wear a face mask and so, so on. I don't know. Anyway, it, it kind of came out on a Friday night and I woke up on Saturday morning and I said, all our videos are now obsolete because you know, we've got our videos and no one in our videos is wearing face masks. So we had to spend the weekend. Well, we didn't have to. We wanted to spend the weekend actually updating the content. So it was 100% 
reflecting what the most recent recommendations were. And then again, sure. two or three weeks later, CDC added some more symptoms. They added more guidance on why face masks are important. Um, and because a lot of folks were kind of not really understanding what the, you know, what the purpose of the face mask was. And then I think Colorado made it mandatory for folks working in restaurants um, to wear face masks and so on. So anyway, so we, we continue to update that content so it's as relevant as possible. And that's hard. <laughs> you know, it's kind of yeah. hard to kind of keep, keep track. Um, and who knows where we're going with that, right? We have yet to kind of figure out, the industry has yet to figure out what does the new hospitality look like? You know, and, you know, I'm talking to operators that are saying they're only going to have two servers on the floor and that server is going to be the greeter, is going to be the busser, is going to be the server. And it's not from necessarily coming from a keep the cost down perspective is how do we help the guests feel that we're minimizing their risk? And, and instead of interacting with five people, they're only going to interact with one. So it's, it's a rethinking of everything. So it's kind of challenging to kind of stay ahead of this, you know, stay ahead of the game. And, you know, that for us, we're trying to be as relevant as possible in the moment. Yeah, it's tough because, and also too, it's like the FDA and the CDC are like, they're putting out suggestions, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. they're not mandating certain things and they're leaving it up to the states and some of that stuff's like, it's very, uh, it would be, I'm generally not for bigger government and whatnot, yeah. but like, mm -hmm. I really do wish the FDA would kind of come out with a standard and say, this is mandatory. Everyone's got to do this. And I think it would also help a lot of the chains that are operating in multi-state yeah. areas because, you know, you can have different counties. Yeah. You can be like, if you're on the East coast, you know, Delaware, like Pennsylvania, New Jersey and Maryland, right. those are, they're all 15 minutes from each other, depending on what road you're on. Yep. And they, you could have four restaurants in those four states. And I have a chain that's after, I have a lot of chains, but like I got guys that are in New York, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. They're all doing different uh, stuff, yeah. and like it's really hard for an operator, yep. you know, who's not huge, to, to like accommodate all the different like little goofball standards. You and you know, right on the head, yeah, hundred percent. It's nuts. It's it's it is nuts. Yeah, it's it's it's. I don't. It's difficult to figure out how you're going to be able to do that, but it's so important that you get it right. That's the that's yeah. the, that's the conundrum. Really, is like you have to get it right. Um, yep. Because someone tweets something about some chain in New Jersey and someone tweets something about some chain in, you know, the, the same s store brand in New York. And, and, and next thing you know, it's just, you know, that's it for the brand, right? Um, they're associated with, with this kind of situation where everything's yeah. just so different in so many places. It's, it's well, tough. And I'll tell you one other thing that no one's talking about yet. And like, we've been, we've been kind of preaching it around with like our procedures and stuff around document, document, document. Mm -hmm. At this point, we're still in outbreak mode. So we don't mm -hmm. really, no one's contact tracing. Nobody's right. figuring out where this stuff's happening. Yep. And at some point in the future, they're going, I believe that some level there'll be some contact tracing. Yeah. And it might just be for bigger outbreaks where like 50 people get sicker above, then they're going to go figure out where they all came from and, where they right. all intersected, right? Right. Um, I mean, in the Asian countries, they contact trace every case or they try to. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't know what we'll do here. But at some point, it's going to get tied back to places. And, right. and if you're the place that it gets tied back to, whether, you know, you were at church and you, like I was a patient 31 in South Korea, she was released and then she went to two mega churches over the next week 
and infected 5,000 people and then that blew their outbreak out of the water. Right. Like if you get traced back to a restaurant or you get traced back to a retail space or whatever it is. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden there, if, if I feel a financial impact from that, I can't work. I have Mm -hmm. to shut down my business, Mm -hmm. you know, because whatever happens, you know, we're, we, there are people in this country that are litigious and they yes. are going to start suing. Yep. And if yep. you're not doing everything above board and documenting all of it and mm-hmm. training on all of it, and mm-hmm. you know, you can't, when you get to court, if you can't show, Hey, I did these 50 things every day. I trained everyone on my staff. I followed the CDC guidelines. Mm-hmm. You can't prove that mm-hmm. you're going to end up paying some money because yep. people are going to consider you negligent. And yep. that's just like, you know, and you know, I mean, it's not happened yet because we're all basically still locked down. But as things sort of loosen up a little, um, you know, I think that's something we all have to be afraid of, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of think about it that way is that before COVID and in in those great days, right, hospitality was was really the differentiator. How you made people feel is going to determine whether they come back. And, And great hospitality relies on. This concept, you know, Danny Meyer said in his book, Disney has this approach, all the greats kind of look at it that you put your people first, right? So it's yeah. how you treat your people is going to directly relate to how you get what your guest experience is. Now, post-COVID, it's safety. Safety is like the new kind of differentiator for your business yeah. and how you how you set up and keep your employees safe will directly correlate to how safe your guests feel. So that's the way you got to kind of look at it. Uh, you know, that's the way I think, you know, the, the folks that are really thinking about this, right. Or looking at it is, is you, you've got to kind of look at it that way. So it, it's kind of shifting that mindset over, but, it, but, but looking at everything through the customer's eyes and looking at it through the employee's eyes, because right now I'm, I'm talking to folks who, have folks that are they're getting ready to reopen and you know their employees are kind of like well i'm not so sure you know i feel good about that right now it's like how what's going to make me feel safe to go back to work right so so these things have to be kind of thought through absolutely so you had mentioned uh in our sort of pre-conversation that you were a part of a real big uh, sort of a reopening summit but what are you hearing from your conversations with people in the industry um, about like their COVID-19 response. Like what are they focusing on? You know, just what are you hearing? Well, I mean, so there was a, a poll that was taken. I was on a, on a panel with the Restaurant Revive event, which is, I think they had like 500 folks that were signed up for that. I don't know how many folks were on when that survey was done, but you know, the, the overall consensus uh, against questions of is service the most important quality of food and so on sales. I mean, uh, safety came out on top. So I, it does seem like from everyone I'm hearing from the kind of task force groups that I'm, that I'm on and also from, you know, things like that is that everyone does seem to feel like safety is going to be the thing that, you know, really needs to be focused on, but I, I think a lot of folks are thinking that from the perspective of the guests. And you had mentioned when we were talking about sanitation theater and not just doing the right things, but doing it in a way where, where the customer can see it so they, they can know it, but it, it you know, kind of goes back to, you know, um, the, the employee experience too. So that's kind of what I'm, I'm seeing out there is how do we do that? But then also sales, you know, how do we, uh, you know, after that comes, how do we uh, become more operationally efficient, right? So how do we batten down the hatches 
and rethink about our model to adapt to the situation and then how do we think about when folks start coming back in the dining room what that new hospitality experience is so i'm kind of seeing it kind of net out into those kind of three buckets is that you know make sure customers and guests are uh, and employees are safe make sure operationally we've really kind of tightened up and then thinking about what does that new normal kind of look like from from a dining experience moving forward so yeah you know what, uh, that, that's what basically we're hearing too. Uh, you know, people are trying to figure out like, okay, we, we, if we can keep this amount of takeout business, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people would like to lower their dependence on third-party delivery because sure. obviously yep. those, those, those profit margins aren't necessarily there. Um, and also, I do think this is a time where restaurants can kind of revolt against third-party delivery, like we yeah. offer it, but what we recommend is you come in and pick up your food because it's one less person who's touching it. Right. right. Yeah. Um, but like definitely is, you know, how am I going to survive on that, on a, on a, that reduced occupancy for however long that's going to be? Because one of the things that we're worried about too is obviously if people go crazy and all of a sudden this all starts spiking again, that's going to be really tough. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Right now, like obviously people have kind of, we've gotten through the last two months and I think as people are starting to get a little bit of a taste of freedom, there's going to be a real rebellion if we have to lock everything back down. So, you know, we obviously want to do this right and be responsible to society so we don't have to lock this down because I don't think a lot of businesses could take another one of these total like shutdowns, if you will. Yeah. Um, it, well, so yeah, it's just a lot of things to juggle. Well, you know, and the thing is, though, so as I, I said in the beginning, you know, I grew up in the restaurant business. I, I was a chef. I worked front of house, back of house, and uh, I love the restaurant industry. And even to this day, as a diner, frequent diner, I love to go out and experience different restaurants. It's almost every time I go out, I, I always kind of feel like it's just amazing, you know, the, what they do, right? It's because to be able to operate the business when any one little thing could go wrong and kind of scupper your whole yeah. business, right? You know, something, there's a piece of a Brillo pad that comes out in the mashed potatoes or something like mm -hmm. that, you know, any, there's so many moving parts, but somehow they managed to pull it off day after day after day. They put their reputation on the line every minute, every day, and, it, and, and they do it. So I, I really feel like they're going to figure it out. It, it, the difficulty is it's just a moving target right now. And, and there's no kind of precedent. And as you know, with your product is like the ability to be able to forecast based on knowing what the weather was last year on a certain day and a certain time and a certain event is restaurants live by that, right? Is the ability to yeah. kind of look back at the past and be able to forecast what, you know, what, what, you know, with some degree of, uh, you know, uh, accuracy, what today is going to be like. And, and that's all gone now. So it's like they're really flying blind and, uh, and, trying, to, and trying to figure out. So, you know, if, if anyone can do it, the restaurant industry can do it, but it's not an easy task by any stretch. No, it is not. Well, I feel like we ended on a somber note there. So, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, this is a challenging time. And I think, you know, what, what restaurant, I would say for the restaurant guys out there that are listening to the podcast, you know, everybody who supports the industry, everybody who's in the industry knows yeah. that this is a rough time. Uh, you know, I know that Bob's company, uh, Restaurant Playbooks, has built some free COVID resources. We've got some free COVID resources around risk assessments and COVID pre, uh, temperature screens and employee screens that you're able to come to our website and get an output 
Uh, I'll put the website link to restaurant playbooks in the show notes and I will put our resources as well in there, awesome. but uh, just keep your heads up. Yep. Um, in some respects, this is kind of a fun exercise because you have to reinvent your business and, mm. you know, uh, and so you could look at it from that perspective as well. And that, you know, how, how can I maximize with what I have now in this new world? Yeah. And, um, and that there are people out here that are professionals that have a lot of experience that are looking to help you. Yeah. So don't hesitate to reach out to Bob um, or myself via mm -hmm. email, via LinkedIn, because mm -hmm. we just, we're happy to give you a little bit of time and help you figure some yep. stuff out. Hundred percent. Yep. And there's so, so much Bob, good information. Yeah, a lot of people are sharing great information. There's such a spirit of sharing with operators yeah. and, and vendors and everything right now. Everyone's pitching in and trying to help everyone out. And it, it is a very cool thing to see that how much yeah. everyone's pitching in and trying to help everyone through this. Our industry is truly coming together yep. And, yep. and trying to raise uh, everyone up. So, yep. well, thank you so much for being on the Order Up Show, Bob. And I appreciate it. Like I said, I'll put the link to Restaurant Playbooks in the show notes so people thank can you. check out your COVID resources and check out your guys' uh, training content. Awesome. It was great to speak, speak with you and meet with you, Tommy. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And thank everybody for listening. And we'll be back soon.